Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 15. We'll be reading this word. This is, brethren, as we say all the time, amen. This is indeed God's holy, inspired, all-sufficient word, amen. This is what God has given to us, these 66 books in holy writ. And so grateful this morning that as we gather together, as the preacher comes in just a moment, uh, that we... uh, We're not going to have our own thoughts, amen. We're going to have the thoughts of the Lord God himself. And so this is what we must tend to this morning. Turn with me there, Luke 19. Look at verses 11 through 15. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants uh, to be called uh, unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Let's pray together this morning. Father, again, we come before you this morning thanking you for holy scripture we thank you lord even as we are living in a time such as this the things are changing ever changing the world ever changes Uh, emotions change thoughts change but there is a constant amongst us and that of course is your holy word it never changes and father we thank you for that thank you for giving it to us that you would be so kind and gracious that men would risk their lives and hazard their lives to write these words down. It is an amazing thing to see how you first inspired those who wrote the Holy Scriptures, 40 men or so over a period of 1,500 years, and the continuity that's there and the never-changingness of it. And Father, we thank you for that. Thank you that it is that which goes into the place which the preacher can't go this morning It is that sword that goes down into the heart, into the inner man, and it corrects him and and it uh, encourages him. Whatever one might need this morning, we thank you for that, that you, the Holy Spirit, knows what we all need. And so, Father, now we pray as as the word is preached that you will, as you say you will, that the Holy Spirit, that you will send it forth, the Holy Spirit will tend to that and use it for your glory as he applies it. Father, we pray this morning for anyone who's lost in here this morning, that maybe today will be the day that you call them, that you draw them onto the cross, that the Spirit of God regenerates them and they, their eyes are open to see, their ears are open and unstopped to hear, and their hearts of stone replaced with a heart of flesh, that they might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So, Father, we pray again that you are the one who salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Therefore, we simply are faithful to the word of God, and it does what you send it forth for. We thank you, Father, for those Christians who are here, those who have trusted in Christ. We pray that they will be edified. We pray that you will be glorified, that the Spirit will work and do his work, and that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, will indeed be lifted up this morning. Father, we pray these things all in his name, the name the Bible says that is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen. 
Well, good morning. As I was preparing for this and read this, it's, uh, you know, it's known as the parable of the pounds. And uh, first on part of uh, explanation, when we talk about studying scripture, and when I talk about studying scripture, and how I do it and how I would recommend to anybody, especially when they first start out, is read it. Read it. It's that simple. Read it, and as you read it, and continuously read it, and consistently all of it, then you'll start more and more and more realize how Scripture starts to interpret Scripture, and you can see where other passages combine with other passages and other places in the Bible, and you won't be easily led into being this dumbstruck on some certain verse or, or here and there. But... uh I say that because it's interesting when I was reading through this. It's known as parable of the pounds. And in Matthew 25, we have the parable of the talents. And some that I read, and surprised me, Calvin himself thought these two were the same parable. And what's surprising to me, it just, it just goes to show that even a man who spends a lot of time, you know, writing books and had a lot of things that I agree with, and there's some I don't, you know, I don't like the word Calvinist. I like Biblicist better, but just being a faithful student. But, and I want to talk about that just because actually by reading that, there can be a little confusion. And that's where some people that either out of ignorance are, you know, and some people will twist it. And you seen saying, see, well, you can't really trust the scriptures because they're not even, you know, they're, they're, they're not talking about the same thing. They don't say the same thing. Well, let, first I want to show you that these two are both different. And with that, uh, first thing I want to point out is they were obviously given in two different times and two different places. And that just takes a little bit of studying. And actually not that much. Just go to where they both first, where Jesus first started speaking in that. And he, they both tell us where he was when he started in the events surrounding it. But if you notice, first of all, in, the, in, in what we're about to talk, what we're talking about today, you know, the, the account, as we can see from starting in chapter 19, uh, verse 1, he was going through Jericho. And as you read through that, we see he was in Zacchaeus' household. And while he was in Zacchaeus' household, and we can see now Zacchaeus, you know, came to repentance. He started seeing his sin. He was repentant of his sinful. And you can see that true repentance. He's going to pay everyone back, and he sees that. And, that. and that's where Jesus makes that great statement, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. Verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, that's where he was. He's right here in Zacchaeus' house. All right, outside the house, but it says there he was, he was in his house. Verse 11, and as they heard these things. So as they heard, immediately after this, as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So we see two things. One, right, he was in Jericho. Was he in Zacchaeus' house or at least in the exact vicinity of it, outside in the porch or whatever, and he was saying it immediately, you know, immediately at this time. And the main reason he, he was delivering this is because they believed in all the Old Testament prophets 
that Je they believe Jesus is the Son of God. He's our Messiah. So very soon he's going he's gonna to enter Jerusalem and he's going to take that physical power upon himself and physically start to reign and deliver all the promises written in the, written in the covenants for us in the Old Testament. And he was going to put that to rest, say, in that time and not yet come. And that's where, the, that's where one of the differences, the reason the two different parables were delivered. So you go to that. That was on his way to Jericho. And then drop down to uh, verse 28, because verse 27 is the last verse in the parable. All right, and we'll talk more about that next time. I don't want to go through the whole thing, because there's a lot there. But, and when he had thus spoken, so he just got done with the parable, Right? He went before ascending up to Jerusalem. Then he went on his way and went into Jerusalem. Amen. So we know exactly where he was and when he spoke it. Go to Matthew. First to Matthew chapter 21. <clears throat> now beginning in Matthew 21, in verse 1. And when they drew nigh into Jerusalem, you know, the Jesus and his disciples, right? And were come to Bethpage under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to disciples. We read the whole thing, but you read through there two, three, right, four, right? What is he telling them? Go tell them to get the colt ready, right? He's he's telling them to get ready. So, you know, he's, and then we know go on, right, in verses four through that. What's the great thing? His entering into Jerusalem, riding on the colt, right, then praising him, Hosanna. Praising that he's Lord. We know that has happened. So we know before he hadn't he, he left after the one parable we're about to go through, he goes on to Jerusalem after giving it. This one, we know from Matthew 21, now he's he's entered Jerusalem, right? They praised him. So all that we see all that goes through. And then we notice going through 21, then we know from, you know, most of you like I, I do anyway, the red letters, you know, the words of our Lord Himself. You notice. Starting there in 21, then he starts, you know, giving a lot of teaching. And he starts talking about the kingdom of God. And he starts talking about how, how, what you compare it to. But you notice he never leaves that place. He continues, he continues on talking and giving, and giving comparison and giving, giving other parables, giving teaching, chapter 24, right? Chapter 24 is important because it tells us another thing about it too. Now keep in mind, Luke 19, he was given this, everyone could hear it, right? He told that, not only the disciples, but all who were gathered around him that were in hearing distance could hear the parable of the pounds. But chapter 24, what happens? Verse 1, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, see you not all these things? Verily I send you, it shall not be left here one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them. Okay, he's just addressing his disciples here. His disciples came to him. Then you know, he's talking directly to his disciples. And right there in verse 4, last half of verse 4, he starts talking. If you'll notice in the deal, there's no break. There's no break, keep going all through. Go to chapter 25. And at 25, after the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, right? 
<clears throat> he comes to the start of verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is a man traveling into a far country who has called his own servants and none of them his goods. Anyway, he goes on talking and he gives the parable of the talents. So just the two are different. And if you notice, the whole thing reading up to it, one had to do with his coming, but he went on, and they have comparisons. He's talking about, specifically about, right, wise and foolish virgins, right? Faithful and unfaithful servants. You know, he's talking about basically what to do with what you have. You know, but we'll get more into that later, next time when, we delve further down into the parable. But I just wanted to show that just with some quick, easy studying, it, it do, doesn't take that long, right? If people just realize they can find out, right, that A, Scripture never contradicts itself. The only thing is, sometimes, right, we know that this is the Word of God, this is all truth, and it's what he inspired them to write. They use their own personalities, but they never lied, they never purposely forgot things, they wrote things. And when we take our time to look, we just find that things are added elsewhere, but nothing's ever contradictory. And so to watch out, because a lot of people, whether sincerely or insincerely, either teach things wrongly or understand things wrongly just because they aren't industrious enough to, you know, to look, take the time to look it up. But as I want to say that now, uh, let's, get, let's get into our... Our verse here, and I'll, I'll start by saying this, all right? Verse 11. And as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. Because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So we see here, even though he had just told them, and we'll go back there, but they, he had been teaching them that the Messiah must first suffer. All right? He was telling them he would be mistreated, and he was teaching them, but they still didn't get it. They expected him, they expected him, right, to come and rule and reign. And that was the whole thing about them. Their religion, what they expected, they were waiting for, their Messiah would care, they would save them, and deliver them from all the people, and he would fulfill all the amazing covenantal promises about Israel. You know, in the Old Testament, they had grown up reading. But the blindness in them, right, at they, they just didn't understand that, no, that's not going to happen, because he goes on to say, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Whew. He's talking about his ascension after his crucifixion into heaven, where he receives his kingdom, he receives his inheritance, right? But... That kingdom that they were waiting for, that they were waiting for, where he physically reigned from Jerusalem, sat on the throne of David, right? And that the glory of God, right? And the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the heavens, right? Would cover the heavens and cover the earth, right? Would just happen. They would have said, well, it's coming on promises, but that time it not come because he needed to return. He would return. And... Now, the reason I, I want to stop and I want to take I want to take time for that, well, I'll read 13 too, and then I'll and then you'll see why I picked the title for this sermon. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. 
So there's two overarching truths that really are foundational. It's interesting, foundational. When I'm going to talk about the subject, the first subject I'm going to talk about, that's eschatology. A couple of certain things we can certainly know. And that is by reading this, we know he's in heaven. We know he's going to return. And we know we're going to serve him until the moment that happens. And it's expected and we're commanded to do so. And we won't go on, we won't go there. But if you drop down, <clears throat> verse 22 there, In verse 22, out of the servant who didn't gain anything from the talent that the Lord had given him, he called him a wicked servant. We definitely don't reckon among those who are wicked. And you'll find the same parable in 25. You don't have to turn there, but if you find it out, right, it's just a sign that we're wicked. Now, I'm not saying a person can't be saved and not serving the Lord. What I'm saying is this. He expects us to, and there is no excuse not to. We're going to be talking about a little bit of reasons that I believe, actually I know it from my own experience and from counseling with others and just, you know, being in the church and living among brethren and talking to them for over 30 years. And things that I think happen which cause us to be maybe uh, less of servants than we should be. But uh, I first want to add it, I was thinking at first I really wanted to talk a lot about eschatology, you know, but the fact of the matter is I have come to realize a couple big things about eschatology in the last 30-odd years. One, there are a number of positions. Within these positions, there are a number of different positions. Some people think they're in one camp, and then they find out that a lot of their beliefs are actually not even in that camp. They don't realize it. And the biggest reason out of that is because most people haven't taken the time to seriously study it out. And also some people take it so seriously, they focus on that issue. When it's not a foundational issue. But I will say this, the reason I say that is... Uh, we all, even when we first come to Scripture, we all bring in preconceived conceptions for whatever reason on those things. And most people I talk to, and originally even myself, right, you just believe the first, really the first, let's just say, half good explanation of what you hear, and that just stays there. And you kind of set it on that. And then... You're, and then suddenly you're just led to search certain scriptures. When actually what scripture would tell us, if anyone here knows what a systematic theology is, which is why I'm not going to do it, because literally it takes hours. It takes time. But we benefit from it. You'd read everything the scriptures had to say about the Lord's return and everything he has to say about his kingdom, everything he has to say, everything. And the one thing you do is scripture interprets scripture, and by that we need to realize there are clear, clear scriptures. This is actually one of them. 
The Lord will appear, and we are to stay busy until he does. But there are many other scriptures, right? And we'll look at some of those that just tell us, it, uh, in, undoubtedly, right, that his kingdom, right, because we are all children of the kingdom right now. And when it talks about the kingdom being within you, he talks about the kingdom of us once we're born again, and when it grows, it grows within us. He's not talking about the physical realm. He'll deal with the physical realm when he returns in glory, and that's what we got to understand. I don't want you to know because there's so much Old Testament prophecy, but so many people overlook and just dismiss and spiritualize certain plain scriptures. And sometimes we just don't want to deal with them because they're like, they're big head scratchers. How, how, how can that be? How does it go with this? But when there's clear teaching, we, ha we, have, to, we have to narrow ourselves into saying, okay, if, this, if scripture teaches this and this is clear, then if, I'm understand if my understanding of this scripture right now contradicts that clear teaching, then I must be wrong, and I need to do further study on it and just put it aside. Okay, with that being said, I, I wanted to uh, look at a couple things that said, why is that so certain? Why am I so certain, for instance, that, you know, he says here, first, it's obvious he's talking about himself, but also when the reason I say that is that a couple things concern me. This one thing right now, and that is this kingdom now theology. What I mean by that is I understand there are different views even within that camp. What I'm talking when it comes to the fact that, you know, when he says, like, all power and all authority is unto him, that somehow we Christians will be making the world a better place somehow, politically and in the physical realm. When actually, not only the scriptures not teach that, but the Old and New Testament, since the time of Christ, that's never been. Are all of a sudden the first people who come upon with this teaching? It, it, the, reason, the reason it hasn't happened up to now is for 1980 years we missed it? got to ask yourself those questions. A couple, uh, couple quick things to uh, turn to is <clears throat> go to Matthew 13. As in my writing, you know, I just sometimes scribble and scribble. I <laughs> but turn to Matthew 13. I'm going to show on this that, you know, some things we need to understand that it was what I mean by the, the scriptures tell us a few things that we always have to keep in mind, whatever view we're looking at. Okay? But when you read Matthew 13, and this is, right, it talks about, right, the wheat, the tares. It talks about the sowing of the good seed, right? And... Uh, I want us to go instead of reading all of that, but uh, so go to Matthew 13, verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us a parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. Right? And that's, that's the word of God, right? And we know we're working with the Holy Spirit, right? But that's... That's the truth. He's sowing the good seed. 
The field is the world, the good seed of the children, children of the kingdom. See, so we're in a kingdom. The good seed is the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. And we always talk about it all the time. Well, that's right there. You're either a children of you're either a child of the kingdom, you're either a child of God, or you're a child of the wicked one. Those are the only two boundaries. No matter how sincere somebody is, no matter how nice they seem to you, whatever, they're either one or the other. And if you're not in Christ, you're a child of the wicked one. It, it's that simple. But And then he goes on explaining, right, that, well, it keeps going on, right? Tears of the children of the wicked one. Verse 39, the enemy that sold them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. Now, there's another thing. We need to take time. I recommend everyone get a concordance. World, at times in Scripture, means uh, all the world's inhabitants and our creation, the, the, the earth, you know, the creation earth. Other times, as here, it doesn't mean that. It means age, an age. So, that better, and if a lot of you have the, one of the newer translations, I believe it does say age. <clears throat> okay, as someone said, well, the harvest is the end of the age, the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this age. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast into the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous shall shine forth as a son in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And then he goes on. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like, well, there's some truths that we know there, okay? I mentioned one. The wheat and the tares will grow together and be here together until the day the Lord returns. Because he compare that, because then will be the harvest, right? Then will be the judgment. And then as we know, and we won't turn that, now time, but just go because we talk about it all the time. Go on to Revelation and then it talks about right the millennium kingdom. And there has to be because it's the only way that the Old Testament prophecies concerning his reigning from Jerusalem are fulfilled. And you can't spiritualize them away because it's not just there that he, that he says it, right? It says there, once he returns, then we will shine forth. Then we will shine forth. One of the places, just, just to keep certain things in mind, how you know, Scripture always interprets Scripture, it can help set us on a level where we can have some parameters when we're looking at looking at things, you know, such as eschatology, because it's not that it's not it, it it's not foundational, but it's not unimportant. It's important. He it, there's a lot of teaching about it. But let's just turn to 2 Thessalonians. There's a reason I just I just want to lay this down because I I realize that a lot of times even myself and maybe it's only ever happened to me, okay. But I you know I'll argue I mean I'll, when I was there especially I'll argue what I what I'm convinced in until I'm blue in the face right. But that is a good way to go. What 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 a better way to say it is right. We take the time to study things out. And do our utmost through studious work and prayer, and with searching the scriptures, 
right? To be able to say, this is what I understand, this is what I believe in. And until that moment, don't get so serious about it. And also, don't be so serious about things that we don't, that are not foundational, the scriptures don't say that we have to be concrete on. Because there are some things that are hard to understand. But the fact is that it's not now, and then, right, his reigning is in our hearts, and the reigning on the earth doesn't happen after he comes back. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation and then that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. And remember, we just read before, when the angels come for the harvest. Okay, so that's when the relief, the, the full relief comes in our glorification. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Okay. The reason I bring that, and then he goes on in chapter 2, right, knowing Right? Another thing that we'll get into the second half of it, as we're serving him, but as we're waiting for him, right? We are to serve him, but the people of God has all have always suffered, has always gone through trials. You know, I know we sing those songs and they're great. He will comfort us. He will never put something upon us we are not able to bear. Right? But he makes it clear that his kingdom, right, his return, when our full glorification, and when he'll be glorified and, you know, glorified, right, truly glorified during his return. He will physically return, right, and until that time, his people will suffer, which goes to show that actually we're not winning a victory over the world. Does mean we're not supposed to work at it doesn't mean we let his will be done. There's a difference. There's a big difference there. Now, the reason I say that is to say this. Go back to our text, Luke 19. I hope that as I, I wait to see that, you know, his kingdom, right, his kingdom within us, right, he went to go receiving in heaven, and he will return and set up that kingdom. Now, during that time, we are to serve him, because he goes on to say, right, in verse 13 again, he called his ten servants, and we don't need to be particular mentioned, because if you go on to the deal and the end, he just settles accounts with three of them. But it's just ten, it's a nice round number. He's given a parable here. He called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds, and sent unto them, Occupy till I come. 
That's interest, interesting. When you work up that word, when you look at that word, occupy, it means this. It's interesting. You study it out, and then you study out the root of that word, and then the root of that word, and that's where you come up. Here, I give you 10 pounds. Go trade with this. Go do business with this. Increase this. Do, do whatever you can. Go do it. Be industrious and bear, bear, you know, get increase on this. That's what I, I that's what he gives the 10 pounds for because, and then it just got to 15, I'll do a 14 in a minute here, but, and it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, so right, he's returned, he's received the kingdom, the ultimate fulfillment in our salvation, we're glorified, he's here reigning on the earth, he has received the full kingdom, he'll take it, he'll rule, he'll sit on the throne of David, Right, and he'll physically be here present on the earth, ruling and reigning during the millennial reign. You know, my only actual question from saying the whole thing out is a thousand literal, or does it just mean a very long period of time? But again, it doesn't really matter, it'll be during the millennium. You know, there is a issue about it. Some people are caught up in eschatology. You get one side, you, you get one side basically saying now certain all this. Well, a lot of you that uh, you know believe in God's sovereignty and believe He's going to return, and maybe won't go into the tribulation. Uh, do we go to the tribulation? Uh, do we are we taken out in the middle of it? Uh, how long is it? it? The important thing about it is His people has always suffered. I don't know why people spend so much time arguing about that because I remember just a couple of years ago, maybe it was you, Demon, you shared it in that, wasn't it, North Korea? A pastor and his family were steamrollered. I've never had a fear of that of you. You know, we think we'll go through that, there'll never be a time. And I will admit that. But I believe that time, it'll never be a time so great to people on the earth. And they'll never experience the wrath of God like they have. Remember the wrath poured upon all the earth? The only people on the entire earth that was spared was Noah and his family. The only people that were spared in the entire region of Sodom and Gomorrah were Lot and members of his family. They're all types. Don't know the Holy Spirit of that time into the rapture. You know, it doesn't really matter because what matters is what I'm going to talk about. What are we doing with the pound that he's given us? That's the important thing. What are we doing with it? Are we being industrious? Or are we not trading at all? Uh because he says in 15, it came to pass, and when he was returned, so now he's come. He's come back, he's received his kingdom, and he's physically returned. We know that, right? However you want to interpret scripture, he will physically put his, his foot on the Mount of Olives, and it's going to split in two. Right? We talk about that, we preach all that so many times. It's, it's such a familiar verse of scripture throughout the church age, right? People just have times, when's the timing of it? And, you know, is this different than uh, the other return and that? He's going to physically return and reign. We know that. That's, that's just an absolute. That cannot be denied from Scripture. Okay, he's returned, having received the kingdom. Then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Okay. For I'll say that, I want to add one more, right? Scripture, help interpret Scripture. Quickly go to Romans 14. Oh, ahead. <laughs> in Romans 14, 
keep in mind of that, you know, that this is, he's going to parable. This is really going to happen. This isn't a parable like, well, you know, it's kind of like this or whatever and that. Read the Romans 14, starting in verse 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand, keep in mind he's writing to believers, before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be condemned, but will all stand. And why? For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. And elsewhere, right? Man will be called to account for every careless word uttered out of his mouth. We'll be held to account. We'll, we'll be given rewards. We'll, we'll, we'll get gain or suffer loss according to what we do with what God has given us. And that's a truth that he's demonstrating here. The truth. Because if you go home and you look at it, and I, and I urge everyone to you know, really read through that and read through that how the first two, right, Right? He had gained five talents. The other one gained two. They're both commended. And they're both rewarded accordingly to their gain. And then you read about the last one. I won't get into that because you know, we don't have time. There's some things I, I want to explain about that. But re remember, first of all, his attitude toward the Lord, right? He was trying to excuse himself. And he had a real bad attitude toward the Lord. And he was called a wicked servant. But if you go down, the person that wasn't serving him in the parable of the talents was also called a wicked servant. So, we're told that throughout false teaching, right, one thing that it comes to do is to kill, steal, and destroy. And I've come to be convinced that part of that stealing, he tries to steal our rewards. He's going to steal our rewards. You know, we're warned about being careful what, 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 we, what we are to teach, but... I mean, just think about that, because he does talk of rewards. Now, we're not to serve him in order to get rewards, but we will be rewarded accordingly to how he served, to how he served him, and he makes that, that plain throughout it. But uh, with that, keeping in mind, right, he commanded, and now he's, he, we're all going to give an account. Okay. So a few things we've got to ask ourselves. Turn, to, turn just back a few pages to Luke chapter 6. Keeping in mind, right, that we, we're in his kingdom, right? We're, we're kingdom, we're children of the kingdom, right? We're children of God living in a crooked and perverse world, and we are to serve him. And furthermore, that's really intimated here in Luke chapter 6, starting in 46. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Right? Which ends the whole deal, right? This, this idea where people can say, well, you know, you, you can, uh, maybe you can have him as Savior and not as Lord. <laughs> He's your Lord, whether you realize it or not, and you're going to be judged according to how you view that. You'll be judged according to how you do that, but he obviously expects you to do what he says. Goes on, verse 47, right? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I'll show you to whom he is like. 
the man, the doer of the word, according to James. Let's go there in James chapter 1, right? Be a doer, not a hearer only. What? And doeth them. I'll show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built a house, and he digged deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house, and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. For he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, again, which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. That's what he's saying. It. So he's talking about, right, we need to do, by not doing his sayings, right? And, and right here, right before that, it, it wasn't that those are the only things, right? It's everything he said, he, he's taught us that he taught his apostles to teach us and tell us to do, right? But we're to do what he says to do. Before that, right, he, he told us about and read before that it comes out, you know, do not judge unrighteously. Make sure you get the splinter, the, you know, the log out of your own eye before you try to take a splinter of your other ones, right? Do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. And he has some teachings in there, right? But go back to, go to Matthew chapter 7. Because what's interesting here, I was saying before, when you study things out, it's interesting that he ends it up, and we know that most of us, when we hear the, you know, the parable of the man who you know, built his house on the rock and the man in the sand, we think of Matthew, right? Now you notice I just read it out of Luke. Because we see that those are compounding, right? Of course, the Lord said both of them. But did, do you notice, it's just that Luke gave us a little more information there. Right before... The Lord said it. He also said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? And then he, he, he goes on, and, he's, and, he's, and he said, uh, here, I'm trying to, okay, yeah, and starting in, 20, in, chap, in verse 24 of chapter 7, right, we see the same exact deal, right? He's telling about the wise man who does what the Lord says what he hears, right, what, what he says, what, what he reads, what he knows to do, and the one who doesn't, right, will have a great fall. The one will be sturdy, he'll sit upon the rock, those storms of life will come, and he'll stand. His house will stand, right, he will stand, or she. The, the one who doesn't, right, will have a great fall. So will have a great fall. And if any of us can ever experience that, there are times, and a lot of times, if I know myself, he can go back, and was it because at times we were building our house upon the sand? Maybe we were being forgetful hearers only and not doers, right? Now, go back. When he, before he said that here in Matthew, we have recorded, he goes through a lot of things. What's he talking about? He First of all, he's starting in chapter 5, right? The Beatitudes. He, that's how he finished up the Beatitudes. But what does he say? First of all, he tells us to expect persecution. He tells us in uh, chapters 13 through 16, we are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be the light of the world. We are to let our light shine before men. That doesn't, you know, and it just doesn't mean, you know, good works, but obviously... We are to be righteous. We are to be examples unto all unbelievers. We are to be good, godly 
righteous, sober examples unto the rest of the world. And, and by that, some, not all, right, but right, that'll be praising God. And by not doing that, will bring reproach upon his name. But he, he tells us of that. Then he also tells us, right, not to be angry with your brother without cause, right? He talks about, about when you do your alms, when you do your praying, when you do your fasting. It's interesting there, right? When, 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 not if. We need to ask ourselves, so why not do that? I'm not talking about the law here. I'm just talking about things. If our Lord tells us to do them and he expects us to do them, what excuse do we have for not doing any of them? Are we walking in our own understanding are according to the truth in what he said? And we need to always consistently and habitually examine ourselves for that. Right, But what he's talking about there is mainly, and I'm not saying, hey, you have to start fasting right now. You're just being disobedient. But I'd like to ask you, if not, why not? We just ask ourselves, why don't we? Why don't we? Because we see in Scripture throughout the Old New Testament, those who did really seem to be very rock-solid examples for us. Rock-solid in the faith. But what he, the main thing about that is right, everything they are doing and their acts of righteousness, and their praying, right, and their almsgiving, right, and also when you you, you drop down to the nearing the end of uh, well in chapter six, right, laying out of yourself for treasures, right, where their heart was, right, it was not the things of this world, where your heart is. They were not doing it to be seen of men; they were doing it to glorify their Father, because they knew they were supposed to do it, and by doing it, they were convinced they were honoring God and the Lord Jesus Christ by doing it, and that's. That's his old matter on for that. And then he tells us not to worry. And we find ourselves worrying, right? There's ways around that. I'll get into that in just a minute, right? He, he, he rebukes us about that. Oh, you have little faith. What are you worried about? I promised I'll give you everything you need. Let the world worry about the worldly stuff. I'll take care of you. Just do my will. That's what he's telling us. Uh, and the reason I, I say the last part is because I said there's various reasons, maybe for whatever reason, maybe we are too caught up with cares of the world. Now, maybe it's only been me before in the past, even right now as I was reading this, that maybe I devoted too many times to worthless things or things of little worth instead of eternal eternal things that bring eternal glory? Right. I used to ask myself, I, I, it, just to ask ourselves these questions, right? ask us these questions, and uh, do you know, you know, to turn there right now, because I talked about it a lot, but Romans 12, 1 and 2, two important things, right? I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present yourself a living sacrifice, right? What's he talking about there? You're living righteous, which is your reasonable thing to do. It's illogical. You're being unreasonable. You are just, you're ignoring plain truths. He's saved us. He's washed us. He's forgiven us. He's accepted us. We're his children. He's made us heirs of salvation. How can you not live righteously for him? Right? We have to do that. And 12 verse 2, right, we have to renew our minds according to the word of God. We have to. We are commanded to throughout Scripture. And by not doing so, I'll tell you what I'm not doing, just like he says about praying, by not doing that, 
you trying to walk in righteousness apart from the knowledge of him is hopeless. You will fall greatly. You will struggle. You will have, you will have a lack of peace. You'll, have a, you'll just have a lack of wisdom. You'll have a lack of contentment in your life. Because they told us over and over again, how do we put on the new man through the scriptures? How do we put off the old man? First, we just decide to, right, live righteously, right? We pray, we ask for him help, we trust in his power, we trust in his grace. But we decide to do that and we willingly do it. Not that we'll always be perfect, because we never will, right? That's obvious, but... And then we consistently, habitually read the word of God, trusting in him that he'll change us from the inside out by doing so. And then we'll be bearing fruit. Then we'll be in the vine. Because apart from him doing it through us, we do it in vain. We will bear no good lasting fruit apart from that. And I say that because it's really important it's really important to understand that. I know we harp on that and harp on that about knowing the Word of God. But it's not just to recognize false teaching. It's not just so, hey, I know more than so-and-so. It's not so, hey, uh, you know, Keith could say, I know more than Howard about that subject. Or, uh, or I could say, I know more than Mike about that subject. It's so we can know him. And it's not being in his presence. I just got to throw that one out there. This whole thing about being in his presence. I know my wife. I don't have some mystical feeling, you know, about being around her, right? I know her in that because I'm acquainted with her. I spend time with her, right? We know him by being acquainted with him. We spend time with him in the word. It's as simple as that. But as we do that, you know, then we're directed more and more. We're directed more and more on his power and his truth. And then we'll be directed more and more. Just to, we start hating evil. We start speaking out against it. We start loving truth more and more and more. We start loving the gospel. We start wanting people to be saved. We start appreciating our own salvation more. Everything stems from the greater the knowledge of the word. And I say that to put anyone to ask yourself this. Do you know that if you have average reading comprehension, you could read the Bible in 70 hours. Put that in perspective, give him one hour a day, and you'll read the entire Bible five times, and plus in those last 15 days, practically the entire New Testament again. Because trust me, the Old Testament is a lot bigger than the New Testament. Right, you're capitulation on there. Now, I'm not saying you have to read it for an hour, but we should ask ourselves, if not, why not? Why not? And we know we watch TV. What are we doing? Are our lives so filled from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed in the morning that we're not spending time in the Word? Or do we have that read through the Bible in a year plan? You know, give them that uh, 10 or 12 minutes. When we could give them a half hour, you'll read it nearly three times in a year. And just by reading that, just by reading that, I guarantee, right, as His Word says, right, it will be. That's how we put on the new man. Right? And as we put on that new man, it'll start overpowering that old man. Because we're choosing to put him out by living righteously. That we're, we're choosing to put on the new man by knowing him through his word. And it just changes its inside out. We can't serve him apart from that. I, 
I want to make that end. You know, I don't want to go over it all because I just see we're, we're running out of time. But I would just, uh, I would say, you know, one other thing that I just wanted to touch on. If you go to uh, Matthew 7, I'm trying to find it here. Okay, chapter 6, I hope you're not. Okay, go to Matthew 6. And I want to read this. You know, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but actually he's teaching us to pray. This is a good standard just to live our lives by and also direct our prayer lives for, but also to examine ourselves of maybe where's our understanding and how we're walking with the Lord. Starting in verse 9. After this manner, like this, in this way, right? Therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So recognize, pray for his glory and give him glory, right? He, it's all in him, right? It's all through him. It's, it's his power. It's for his glorification. And, you know, right? And we have nothing that we have not received from him. Any good thing we have is from him, amen? But thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not saying you should do this, right? But it's a good blueprint, right? Because what do we always say? Yes, he hears every prayer, and he answers it, always according to his own will. Because we don't realize we're not the only people on the earth, right? We're not the only people involved in God's program for, for the heavens and earth, all right? Okay, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as it is in earth, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, you know, give us what we need. And he promised to do so. But he says he works through praying. He works through his people, right? He, he could have started and finished a long time ago. He never do this whole thing. But he's got a plan, and we can trust him because he's a faithful, wise, all-powerful creator, and he controls all things. So he can trust us, right? Gives us daily, daily bread, so he meets our daily needs, right? Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins, our trespasses, right? As we forgive our debtors, right? So, right, as we ask for forgiveness, we have no right to do so if we're not also from our heart freely forgiving those, anyone who's trespassed against us. <clears throat> Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right, so we already know, Lord, keep me from temptation. We always tempt with that, right? The flesh lusts against the spirit, spirit against the flesh, right? But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So, right, all for his, all for his power. And we know his is the kingdom. But again, it's not here right now. And we know just looking through history. And we're going we're gonna to get into more of that uh, next time on it and that. But look through history. Never, right, people have always suffered. It's not, it hasn't always been suffering, right? He's always called us to serve. He's always called us to live for him. He's always called us not to just share the gospel, but also share the, all the faith and to be those lights in any community we're in, right? But that, right, the world would overall continue, right? Wickedness would reign. But we don't have to worry because we're already in his kingdom. We're already safe and secure in his arms. 
But verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also give you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I just want to know that note because it's also important, well, you know, that part of serving him, right, is also realizing that uh, we, we say we love him, but we show our love by our love to our brethren. And love for the brethren comes over love for unbelievers. And it's that he has a special one, right? Because elsewhere, right, we'll take a look at that, especially the household of faith. But I just say that, that we need to realize we're not perfect. We need to realize that we'll all offend one another in different ways. But also, remember, after he, this is one of the things he said on there, when he taught us to pray, and when he, he told us, he made a point of it right afterwards of saying, you must forgive. And what he means, he doesn't mean, you, you know, you won't be, you know, forgiven because we are forgiven. But it breaks up that daily walk. It breaks up peace in our own lives. It interferes with us. It interferes with the body of Christ because we're all one of another. Right? It is a disobedience to not to. We must choose from our heart to forgive. And that is so vitally important because that also speaks on our love for one another and that is how the world knows where it is, by the righteous lives we live and by our love for one another. Those are the two things Scripture says that he, the world knows we are his. So I just want to end with that. And when we get back to, you know, just, just to be thinking on, we'll, we'll talk in there when you talk about the servants and bring them to account and more about serving. But keep in mind that it's impossible if we're, if we're doing it apart from these things which we're doing now, but also on a daily basis, right, of being in that word and prayer, you know, and being there for one another, right, and fellowship and doing those things, right? But without the power of the word and prayer, but especially the power of the word by knowing him, what we really are doing in practicality is we're trying to produce fruit and live for righteousness outside of the vine because we're trying to do it in our own power and not the power of the trans, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that comes through knowledge of the Word of God. And that's what Scripture plainly teaches. And for us denying that, we can get caught up with worldly things, and before we know it, but before we know it, we, we, we all of a sudden get stunted in our growth. But we never stay there. If we're not careful, we'll start going back. And I don't want to see anyone have, have a fall, right? That's what we, we can fall, right? Just not utterly, but right. We, we can stumble at many things. But the more we're in that word, right? Uh, you know what could be a great fall just becomes maybe a little toe, a little toe prick, amen. But with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your truth. We thank you so much for sending your Son that all who would believe in him, their sins have been paid for. We know we are forgiven, that we are justified in your sight, that, we, that you will keep us in your power against that day, and that you have given us eternal life and will one day glorify us. We thank you that through your word we know our future. We know that we are with you. We are your children. We are... Your slaves, we are your sons and daughters, and we thank you so much for that. Lord, help us to show us, show us 
where in anything where maybe our understanding is falling short or maybe we have a lack of discipline. Just, Lord, show us where there are places, Lord, where in some way we're in error and we're not following your commandments as we ought. Lord, we know that we are not saved through our works, but we know that we are saved. We are to be doing works. And by the way, doing works, it'll show others our faith and prove it to ourselves. Lord, help us as your word says. Build us up, Lord, and correct us, instruct us, reprove us, Lord, you know, by refining us by your Holy Spirit, through your word, that we, we would be those lights and we would be that salt in this community and for all your saints everywhere, through every community they're in, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Elders here.